All right. Happy Friday, everyone. And we are back with another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are continually exploring the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff to help you do digital learning right. So today I'm joined by some familiar faces. I've got David James and Ben Muzzle from Loop, and we're talking about the evolving role of and the future of the LMS, I guess, would be the best way to frame it up. We'll also hear how Loop is actually what you're doing about it uh, with the platform you've designed. So if you are joining us live, go ahead, give us a thumbs up, share the post, tag in somebody who would enjoy the conversation while we're getting started. And while you're at it, if you would comment in and let us know where you're joining from. Uh, I am in my usual place here in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Beautiful day, getting ready to kick off the weekend. How about let's go, let's go round robin. So uh, we'll start with Ben. Ben, where are you? I'm in the Midlands of the UK at the moment, sweltering. Okay. All right. And David? Yeah, so just south of London, uh, in quite close to uh, to Brighton and the beaches. Uh, again, sweltering, enjoying the heat. Although, you know, us English, we love to moan about the heat. <laughs> okay, but so what? what is the actual temperature there? And I'm going to so, have to pull up my friendly uh, Celsius to Fahrenheit conversion calendar. I've already done the work for you. It's 88 oh. degrees at Fahrenheit. Look at that. You did it for me. I, I, you know what? I had Google up. I was ready to do it, but uh, you, you did the work for me. Okay. So you guys, you're, we were, we were above that. I think last week it was in the nineties here um, last week. It's cooled down a bit. I don't know. I haven't actually looked at the weather for the weekend, but I'm hoping it's not that sweltering because I too like to complain about the heat. I do not, I do not care for the heat. Is it humid there though? Let me ask that. Is it really humid too? Yeah, it's pretty humid as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not so good when you don't have the cover as well. <laughs> ben, ben can't relate to that, but I can completely agree. You put a little sunscreen, maybe a baseball cap. It's not too bad, but uh, it looks like I've got a little bit more of a base tan than you do, though, David. Yeah, yeah. So I just <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm very familiar with how badly I burn if I'm not careful. All right. Well, so before we get into the discussion on uh, tech, the LMS, all this good fun stuff, let's start with our, our question of the week. Ben, I, I caught off guard. He wasn't prepared to answer it. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll start with David um, so that you have time to do it. But and everybody else, play along with this one and comment in and share your answer. But David, with your background coming from Disney, and the fact loop reminds me of loop-de-loop. -loop. Uh, the question is, what is your favorite theme park ride? And you don't have to be specific. If it is a very specific ride, you can do that. If it's in general, I will accept that as an answer as well. Well, as you said, I was uh, very fortunate to work at, uh, at Disney. And we had uh, events at the parks. So uh, so I, I did have um, private access to uh, to the parks when I worked there. But there is nothing quite like doing a roller coaster with a fearless five-year-old. So I would say it doesn't matter what the roller coaster is. My five-year-old, well, she's six. She's just six now. Okay. She's fearless. And she, she will scream and enjoying it. No, I freak out. I freak out next to her. And she's fearless. So, yeah, whatever, whatever I'm riding on with her. But it's got to be a, uh, a roller coaster. Okay, roller coaster. I can't believe your six-year-old is... I mean, like a lot of times they, they think it's cool and then you put them in the seat and the thing takes uh, off and it's, uh, she's, it's, it's chaos. Wow. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That's, that's pretty awesome. All right. How about you, Ben? You've had a little extra time now and you said it's been a while since you've been to a theme park, but what, what's yours? 
yeah, you're too kind giving me that extra time to, to, to think about it because I haven't been to many, but uh, um, Luna Park in Melbourne, uh, St Kilda, uh, and there was, it must have been about 10 or 11, and there's a ride called the Gravitron. That's just yeah. a dip that spins around. So you sit on the ends of the walls, and as it's spinning around, you can actually turn upside down. And okay. uh, we thought that was the, that was absolutely brilliant at 10 or 11 years old. And, uh, you know, didn't listen to the warnings that it was slowing down, and we all fell on our heads when it slowed down. <laughs> <laughs> I know which one you're talking about, right? It looks like a top, and it just spins super fast. And yeah. then you can, you know, stand up or turn. Okay, I know what you're yeah. talking about. Those are the ones at the carnivals, too, where – you know, these things are assembled and you're like, is this actually going to make it through? You know, but okay. All right. All right. So for mine, I, I don't know that I have a specific one. I, I would probably join your six-year-old on the roller coaster, David. I, I would be right there alongside. But for me, anything that will drop me from ridiculous heights at rapid rates of speed. So if it's, you know, a rip cord, if it's one of those plunges, if it's a flume, I'm all in on that. Or if it zips me in all sorts of circles and and things like that, I will I will be all over it. My kids my kids are not brave like yours, David. And I'm always <laughs> at the, I'm always the one like who wants to come with daddy? And they're like, no, no way, we're staying here. So, um, yeah, people always said too, as you get older, it's harder. You know, mm. you start to feel more dizzy. I have not experienced that. <laughs> I have not experienced that. Spin my head around, and I'm I'm still good to go. So. Okay. Well, we've got a, all right. We got somebody who added water slides. You know what? That would qualify as a right high dip for me. The one thing though, I don't, (laughs) this is a complete side side sidetrack, but you know, those water slides that goes straight down. Have you Mm -hmm. ever done one of those? Yeah. Those are terrifying because you actually lift off the slide. And I've actually felt like I was going to shoot off at Atlantis in like the, I don't know, Caribbean or something like that. I went down the biggest one in the world and that actually did make me a little bit nervous. I, I'm not sure if it was the height or the fact I was worried my swim trunks were going to come <laughs> off too. Either way, it was it was fun. All right. Anyway, back back to the topic at hand. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit before we get into the conversation about the LMS and kind of the evolving role that it's having. Let's talk about loop right mm-hmm. so at a very high level david you were you were the very first guest so we heard a little bit of an overview from you then what what is how do you describe it do you call yourself an lms and if so you know how, how do you explain to people what it is that loop does yeah so i'd say that uh, the, the we have to we have to include the lms in there because that's what what people are looking to buy it but but it's but it's beyond that we we describe ourselves and you've got to excuse the jargon but we're specific for for a reason we'd say we're the first human-centered digital stack for learning and it's a stack because we combine what you expect from an lms meets a marketing engine and we don't mean daily digest or weekly digest of content we mean the, the smarts that go into marketing with um uh automation layer built in so there's so much more that that we do apart from just the the management of uh, of of the learning but we start from where the the learning professional is the person who wants to know about it and then we bring them on the journey but it's uh, but we consider it more of a stack wouldn't you say ben totally agree with you david so so ben i mean you you founded this thing lms is right i mean there's there's they've been around for a while what made you look at it and go you know what we can do we can do better than that or these are some big gaps that we want to tackle you know why why tread into the lms territory 
That's a great question. I ask myself that <laughs> <laughs> every Friday about this time. No, I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> uh, look, it got, probably goes back to I was running a, a face-to-face training organisation in Australia. We had training rooms in every major capital city. Uh, it was delivering um, government uh, initiatives, and uh, money went out of the contract one year, okay. and uh, so it wasn't um, viable to do face-to-face. So guess what? e-learning was introduced because you know it's very cost efficient uh and so myself and uh one of the other partners founders of loop dan um we built a learning management system around employment services in australia essentially um and so we kind of fundamentally get you know where they've came from and what they're really good at mapping competencies reporting and all the rest of it and it was only sort of uh, in working with our our clients who were um, organisations that had anywhere from a few to 60 or 70 offices uh, around us, around Australia, um, they approached us because you know, the LMS was actually used to train their clients, job seekers, and they said to us, hey, can we use your system to train our, our employees? And our response was, that would just be too hard. You know, they, they, had, they had challenges with contracts changing nearly every day and being able to make sure that people didn't just get an email but, you know, truly understood what that meant because it was costing them money. Okay. Uh, and we just didn't see how the, the, the system that we had built, which is all standards based, could could be used by anyone you know in the organisation. And so that's kind of at that time we said, well, no, we don't recommend you use ours, but we'll rec- you know we will recommend one for you. And we went online, and at that stage there was only seven hundred or so. Only oh, okay, yeah, was, those <laughs> were the early days. <laughs> it really was, uh, but 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 it was all it was all the same sort of stuff. You know, where the LMS is kind of, it felt at the time to us that it had been retrofitted into business coming from the academic world and didn't really solve some of the problems that business was facing. Um, and at that stage, it was just as much about democratizing that process uh, and helping different parts of the organization solve their own challenges uh, rather than it always being left to L&D to, to interpret them, build courses and, and distribute. So that's kind of where it started. We built an MVP. Yeah, we built an MVP and I... Uh, Went over to a learning show in uh, in the UK and stood there with a couple of banners and a, and a screen. And one of the first people I spoke to was David, and that's where we mm. met. And that's where you met. And now, now, now it's serendipitous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, if I can just add to that, that, yeah. to that if I, I came and joined joined the story, the you know a year after it was built. But uh, and no word of a lie, I say this every time when it comes to the uh, the origin story of Loop. One of the first things I said to Ben when uh, when he showed me Loop for the first time, and considering it was an MVP, was the realization that this is the first piece of learning technology that I would use. Now, I'd been pushing people to use LMSs and e-learning for 15 years, largely without any success. Uh, but this one, I, I saw it and thought, oh, my God, this is this is it. I mean, then, then there was the embarrassment on the train home that I'd been pushing e-learning uh, and people towards clunky LMSs and training them and thinking that they'll they'll see the value if only they'd, they'd persevere, which on the way home I realized was absolute bananas because that's not what they needed. They needed... Well, we can move on to to what what we think that they needed, yeah. but but I knew immediately it wasn't it wasn't generic e learning um, that you know that that the platforms that I had procured were filled with it was useful stuff that was going to help them with the primary reasons that they were there at work. Yeah. So um, 
so yeah, it was uh, it was a real eye opener. So I became Loop's biggest fan before uh, before became Ben phoned me up, and, and, now, and now you join the team. That's so, right. Yeah, who was it who said? You know, I liked it so okay. much, I bought the company. <laughs> well, you know, the, the interesting thing about it, and this is where, and and we'll talk about kind of how the role evolved because if you look at the LMS in its in its early state, right, it was at its time was solving some real problems that people were trying to tackle, you know, at, at its time. I think what I've personally seen over the years is it just, in many cases, it hasn't kept up. Um, mm. But I think the challenge with it is there's a little bit of a catch 22, right? Because it is easy. And I see this happen a lot where people blame the tech, right? Oh, well, LMSs are terrible. That's the reason that learning isn't taking off in our organization. I think you have to be a little bit careful with it because, there are some bad practices that you can have the greatest tool in the world. And if you're still approaching, you know, the way you approach learning in kind of a legacy traditional LMS approach, it's not necessarily going to fix it. I mean, going to your point of, Hey, we have this been the example you gave of somebody saying we need to get this content or this information to people out quickly. And your answer is, well, let me put together a 127 slide, you know, presentation on how to do it. It doesn't really matter how you deliver that. That's not necessarily going to solve a problem, if if that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I think so. I th I think that uh, the the it, it has to go back to what what problem that you're looking to solve. And I yeah. think that there is such a low expectation in learning and development for the problems that digital can solve. That's why we, you know, we, the, the first phrase that I threw at you and the the explanation was that we are human centered digital platform stack because it's only about the people. It starts and ends with the people. Uh, but learning and development, a lot of the time, are looking to solve their own problems rather than the problems of the people they're seeking to influence. A learning management system tells you everything. It's built from the back forward. So we look to solve the administration problem, which is kind of ironic when there are L&D administrators as well. So not only have you got this platform to solve your administration problem, you've got someone to work for the technology as well. I mean, how dystopian. Um, but, uh, but, but instead of solving the problems of the people that you're seeking to influence, this is how do how do we one of the phrases I, I really can't stand in learning and development is having an online learning provision. What does that mean? Right, yeah. that means that you value face to face over digital. So you have something online to plug a gap before you get people into face to face. It's a provision. So how do you solve that problem? Well, you get a library of online of generic content. Again, whose problem are you solving here? This is L and D's problem that's being solved, not the end user who find who you know. We all know if you went to Google, you're going to get that it's more predictably reliable than than a lot of LMS searches. And then it comes down to yeah, but there's quality, this, that, and the other. And man, I've looked at I've looked under yeah. the bonnet a lot of LMSs and a lot of generic content. I can tell you that Google's win. Google wins hands down. That's not the problem that people are trying to solve in their organization. That's why what we do here is that, that you know, the, the marketing tech starts and ends with understanding what your people are trying to do. So this is what marketing is all about. Marketing isn't about getting dumb content and then shipping it out to the people who most closely fit the profile of the content. Again, you're looking for, you're looking yeah. for a problem well, to, solve to solve with your content. You're the yeah. problem that we have, which yeah. – I will I will challenge a little bit and say we can't ignore that, right? Because I mean, having grown up on in the space, if you've got a horrible user experience on the inside, right, you 
it's it's not fun. So I think we have to balance that. But to your point, I think in the past we've often looked at how does this tech solve how does this solve my problem? How does yeah. it make my life easier? And yes, that's a good question to still ask. But if that's the core of what you're trying to do, that's where I, I would say absolutely you're missing the mark. And so I want to talk about this marketing thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Toby, Toby brings this up, and I and I would agree with this. I don't think ever anybody ever Google's e-learning never (laughs) they google the answer to what they're looking for which is really what we're trying to get to as a performance enablement group is to say what do people need what do they want and how do we get it to them but let's talk about this marketing thing because um there's a lot of talk about you know i've had lots of conversations and you hear about we l d needs to learn to be more like marketing or learn from the journey marketing's been on and i agree I think sometimes that gets misinterpreted as we need to get better at having a, a cool brand or we need to, you know, come up with some cool branding for what we do. That's not to me what I I on I take it as when we say we need to get better for marketing. So what are some of these marketing capabilities that you've adopted and adapted into the platform where you said, hey, we actually can behave a little bit more like marketing? Cool. So if I if I could just start up here and then sure. Ben, if if, I'm, if I if I can hand over to you for some of the nuts and bolts. So so for, for, you're absolutely right on the marketing side. This isn't looking for ways to market what we already have. It is about understanding the people that you're seeking to influence. So there's got to be a reason at, at the outset. Why are you looking to influence those people? And some of them are really obvious. You're looking to influence new starters because they don't know your organization and they don't know what to do. Trying to influence new managers because they've just taken a, um, a career change and they don't know what to do. So, so you've got, so, but you have to start with and understand the people that you're seeking to influence. Then what you could do is you can give them useful stuff. You might want to give them some generic stuff. We would always advocate, have a conversation, understand what it is that they are trying to do and what you're trying to help them with. Uh, and then uh, understand the data. Um, first of all, I mean, you, you, you add in data, user insights so that so you give them some stuff, minimum valuable product to see if you can make a meaningful difference. Start a dialogue because if you can get to people when they are keenly experiencing challenging okay. situations, then they're willing to engage. So it's just not they're with they're not willing to engage a lot of the time. If you're attacking uh, an established group of people who are already being rewarded for exhibiting uh, and doing the job the way they are. Get people help, help people when they need your help. Engage them in a conversation and build your proposition outwards. But you do that in a, a smart way um, using some of the tools that, that marketing do. I don't know if you want to explain, uh, Ben, a little bit of, uh, of how we do that. So before, before Ben, I'll, I'll toss it over to you. But just to kind of distill what you said so that I'm kind of making sure that I've, I've got it down. You're talking about you know, really identifying where are these key points of failure or where are these key points, I call them, you know, critical moments that matter in a learner's Mm. experience where it's like, hey, they're, they're trying to do something they haven't done before, or they tried something and they failed, or they're in a state of transition, where they're a little bit more open to, all right, I need some support, I need some help, and actually having the insights to know when those things are happening, and targeting them with, what they may need at that point and learning and adapting from it because you're probably not going to get it right 100% of the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I, th- I think we're talking about the same stuff. Yeah. And I know a lot of people in L&D will say, yeah, but it's all right when people are changing, but what about when they're not? I always go back to, no, help people when they need the help. Like, and this is where L&D has failed for too long. We either overwhelm people uh, as they 
transition into an organization or we neglect them for long periods afterwards uh, and then we bring them together for a face-to-face and think that we can we can make a lasting difference almost that equates you know they spend a a day of their time and that will equate to a day of their value and it and a lot of the time it doesn't we that our whole we have several ethos at loop and one of them is you've got to give the people what they need when they need it where they're working i mean it's absolutely key and then you can build everything up and around it what but what doesn't map so easily is yeah, but in L and D we do this. You got to well, no, 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 no. Yeah. This is this no, is no. you got to put the people at the heart of this. It's so much easier to go in the direction and guide and support them in the direction that they're going, rather than slamming on the brakes and trying to influence them in areas that, that perhaps they don't recognise and they don't they don't see as a as a challenge for themselves right now. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So let's let well, I, I want to come back and, and I think we're going to dig into a lot of that stuff. But Ben, I want to hear a little bit more about the marketing kind of capability through through Loop that actually allows you to do some of this stuff. Yeah, cool. So I guess one element of Loop that really has changed the way our customers think about the way they approach initiatives is called campaigns. Okay. And essentially what it allows our customers to do is to instead of one of the most typical things we hear with you know, common initiatives like you've mentioned new starters is that we overwhelm our new starters. We give them everything they could possibly want in the first day or the first week and then leave them to fumble their way through. It's the opposite of managers. You know, we we neglect them for days, weeks, months, sometimes years before we're able to get to them. Um, But with campaigns, what what we've been able to do is create a kind of like an automation engine that is that allows the customers to build workflows. Um, And and essentially what it means is that we can wireframe out what uh, an experience for onboarding should look like without the worry of the limitations of technology. And so if you go back to the fundamentals of tapping into their concerns as they're happening, so day one, how do I get my tech set up? How do I get all the compliance stuff done? How do I not make any cultural faux pas? And you know, where do I go to get lunch? Okay. Um, you know, We can basically build a, a timeline or a workflow from day one all the way through till you know 90 days time when they're about to pass probation, um, uh, being able to be served up the most relevant content for what they're going, going through right then. So this tool, enables you to um, uh, build that timeline and then send the most appropriate message as well, whether that's a Slack notification, a Teams notification, a, uh, an email, or even an SMS. Uh, and that changes with our customers. That changes based on the department you're working in. You're more likely to send a, a, a tech team a Slack notification, whereas more traditional groups, um, you know, it may still be email. For warehousing staff or retail, we find it's commonly SMS. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's it's based on specifically those group of people and how you can get to them. Um, so I can show you a little bit of that as well. Uh, yeah, like. one, and as, you, as you're pulling that up, I think that addresses one of Janine's questions, which is, right, what does that look like for frontline workers or like in a warehouse? So it's actually adapting because going back to your point of you're reaching your audience where they are, you're saying, well, it depends. Like where where is the learner? If they're on a warehouse floor, they aren't sitting in front of a computer where reading an email is necessarily the right modality to reach them, but a text message may be. Now, is that, you know, is that the notification to tell them they need to go do something or are they actually engaging with the stuff through that? Yeah, it's a notification to tell them. It provides the context that, hey, it's your first day. Here are the things you need to get started. Click the link and and it just serves exactly the content. There's no sticking through a homepage and four other clicks. It's Mm. designed to give them what they need, when they need it, and then move on with what they want to do, which is actually their jobs. Okay. Um, can I just can I just add in there as yeah. well? You know, yeah, we, 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 pride, 
what what Ben was talking about was you know, the, with the the genesis of Loop, which was um, uh, educating job seekers. Part of the um, the the brief was that this has to be foolproof. You know that there can't be a way that people go. I oh, know I couldn't do it because I didn't know where to go, which has led us to the the point now at Loop where nobody does training for the end user in Loop. There's no need. This is no. the Apple or the Google of LMSs. We we always advocate don't do any training. What you do is if you've got your campaigns and you send people through, first of all, registering is the easiest thing in the world, and it just takes you straight through every time. It is you know it was secure. It is easy, and we, we you know we pride ourselves. You know we we're rewarded for uh, for UX um, for for um, on many many sites, um, but that has to be a premise for us that you can't be training people to be using the platform, creating friction as this is as this is uh, titled this right. conversation. Um, it's got to be frictionless to get people through, and those ways that we are getting to people where they're working uh, is part of that uh, experience for them. So as we dig into the campaign piece, what we're really hitting on is the fact that, you know, if you're, and I think it goes back to what you said in the beginning, which is all around kind of the human centered design of this, of mm. you're looking at the behavior of how a person is, which, which the behavior of a person is, isn't, Hey, I think I'm going to go to the LMS and I'm going to go sign up for something. Or even I got an email. Now I need to remember that I need to go do these things and make sure I do all this other stuff. It's more, Hey, here's a thing you need to do because I know you need it right now. And seamlessly from that, it's just pushing you through it. It's, you know, LMS is talk about guaranteeing, you know, talking about engagement and how much engagement you get. I know no better way of guaranteeing engagement than tapping into the concerns of people right when they need it. Right. You know, there's, there's no need for any sort of gimmicks or trickery at that point because they have the concern and, and, and you're there to support them. So, okay. And that's well, why I look at it. Oh, go ahead, David. No, no. All I was, all I was going to say, I can, I can add this afterwards because I was going to take us off. Okay, to a perfect. Well, don't take us down a, don't take us down a rabbit hole now. Let's talk <laughs> about these, these campaigns. Okay, cool. So, without giving you the full tour of campaigns, um, we allow you to uh, essentially um, define an audience, and that can be very, very specific. Mm -hmm. So, it's by user credentials, any user credentials that can be pulled in off your HR systems, Microsoft, Google, whatever else you like. You know, we've integrations for all of that. Uh, so it can be based on who you are, um, or it can be based on what you have or have not done as well. Right. Um, so there's many different ways that that trigger these campaigns, and campaigns can be fixed date and time, so for things like change projects, or they can be relative. So any anytime someone becomes a new starter, automatically this is going to happen, which gives L&D the ability to kind of get off the hamster wheel of all the repetitive work. Um, one of our, um, our people that works uh, in, I guess, you know, what we would call sales without, we don't really have salespeople, everyone's working kind of L&D. Um, uh, she was actually a customer of ours. And when we showed her campaigns, her comment was, that's 80% of my day taken care of then. <laughs> <laughs> she was an L&D coordinator. That was just the repetition. Um, so you can define an audience, be very, very specific, because the more specific you are to say, you look like this, smell like this, you've got this problem, here's the solution for you, then the better the result you're going to get. Um, so you define the audience, you build out all the actions, which are combinations, of, as I mentioned, banners on home pages, which is like display advertising, um, emails, uh, Slack notifications, team notifications, or SMS are, are the options that we've got at the moment. Uh, and essentially, you build out that stream. Um, what comes off the back of that as that, as that flows is the data that helps you understand not just the traditional from an LMS, LMS perspective of you know, what are people doing, what modules are there, 
Um, but are they even engaging uh, in our comms? We learned this working with a customer a couple of years ago uh, where they were trying to influence, I think it was about 3,000 managers. And uh, and so, you know, we, we had built great resources in Loop. They they user acceptance tested it with about a dozen people. Um, and, and, and when they wanted to go the extra step to truly understand the comms metric, they used a separate tool. And the 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 period of the next month of trying to map data between the two systems in a you know in a kind of a moving beast with people coming and going was just too hard and it became quite compelling for us um, on, on what to build. So um, so essentially, it allows us to build these flows out uh, and then at the back of it are these action reports, which is kind of the granular level. I'll take you back up to the dashboard in a minute, um, but we can show you uh, kind of like a heat map of how your experience has been performing. Uh, and so here you can see that I'm the only one that's actually done everything. David, I can see that you're behind. We can. And so for you starters, just an example we looked up this morning. First thing we're going to do is show a banner. So if people do end up on the homepage, you can be signposted, hey, welcome to the organization. It's day one or day two uh, and so on. So is this um, the heat map? Just to ask a clarifying question here. The heat map of what you're what you're seeing here is the heat or engagement of the actual campaign. So you're architecting almost this marketing campaign in many regards of like, this is what people need. And then that's the actual, hey, how how have they engaged with the actual campaign versus I guess the kind of traditional, we assign this out and we can see this many people did it. Yeah, that's, that's right. It brings the marketing metric and the learning metric together to give you a true view because when organizations are trying to influence vast groups of people, say 20,000 people, um, and the only metric you can rely on is have they done the learning, then what are you going to, what are you going to do with the 30% the laggards? You know, well, if you I didn't know, the answer, well, I never got the email. I, I didn't know it was, I didn't know it was there. And it, it, in many regards, sometimes you're like, well, I don't really have an answer for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, David, if you say that you're cooked because I can see it. <laughs> David busted. <laughs> David didn't read the emails. What happened? <laughs> He's opened it and he hasn't. Well, but, but it could be that he doesn't like the content. It's not tapping into his content. Yeah, yeah. right. But yeah, right. It's yeah. not always a punitive. It's not always a punitive thing to say. Oh well, that he did something wrong. Yeah, and the power right. of this is that this is you know that. Uh, for in my own defense it's not mandatory and this is the power of it that that when when you're when you're not making um content mandatory you need to know where it's working and where it's not where people are thinking no i won't do that i mean why are people why are people telling you you've created this valuable stuff and they're not engaging so where are they not experiencing the value is it at your comms is it with you know are you not solving a problem I mean, there's there's loads in here, and you know, I better move on to user insights because that's a key part. We're not delivering content at people; we're engaging in an ongoing dialogue with people so that we can help them with what they're not able to do efficiently. Yeah, well, and that I, it gets back to the point that we were talking about before: is how is this actually enabling us to be more like marketing? And it, I can see in that sense, that's that's what it's doing because it's looking at it more holistically than just the learning object, right? Mm. Here's the thing we want people to do. Well, no, that's not necessarily the only problem we're trying to solve because only having that data doesn't necessarily tell us a whole lot about mm. user behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it and it paints a picture of what to do next. We always aspire to help help our yeah. people, uh, customers do you know what to action next. So the ones that haven't done what you require. You can break that out. There's ones that have not even received your comms. Okay, do we pivot from an email to a text message yeah. uh, or, or, or a notification? Is it because we're not getting where they are? 
or is it like David, he's opened it and we're not tapping into concern. So, so there's, there's, there might be two separate actions for the people that are, that are not complying. So we give you that visibility. So whether it's showing a banner, sending an email, sending a text message, um, uh, or, or completing content, you know, we give you that all, all in the heat map, in the granular actions. Uh, and, and the other thing that we, that, that we've built, uh, uh, started this year, maybe a little bit earlier, um, that was, um, probably the, what I've been most excited about, uh, as an addition to campaigns is, the uh, user insights tool. Uh, and why I, I felt that was so valuable is because beyond what we talk about learning in the flow of work, getting to wherever people are, the world is not static. I mean, you know, with what's going on at the moment, then, you know, it's, you know, it's never been clearer. There's something know, going on. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been outside in a few months. <laughs> one, of, one of the biggest challenges that, that we've had in L&D is to be able to get reliable data yeah. large enough amounts of data and for onboarding you know it's left to one-to-one -one conversations or getting people a at a room at the end of their induction and trying to understand what worked and what didn't but if you're asking them about what what was happening in their first week they will often lack the concern or the memory to be able to tell you what the true challenge was mm. uh, and so what we've added to campaigns is the ability to gather data insights in the workflow if you want to call it that but you can create experiences that give them information they need for the first week but at 3 p.m. on Friday, you can go back to them and say, how are you feeling? Do you feel supported? What else do you need? Where are the gaps? Mm. In the context and the emotion of what I'm going through. So that L&D really can get to the gritty detail of what's going on out there to inform them about how you, uh, how you I guess, evolve your product and okay. what to work on next without leaving your desk. Cre creating a feedback loop if you will. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> but it does, I mean, you know the reality of this, uh, Christopher, that, um, yeah. that aside from the learning needs analysis and the training needs analysis, which is largely a resource allocation exercise, which is our way in a lot of the time to speak with uh, leaders and managers about what they want from their people. So though that's our way in. We're not even speaking to the people. I mean, like they, a lot of the time we are getting the requests from above this gives you instant access and not from a learning perspective but we are scaffolding the work ex um, experience which is people are expected to do a certain set of things uh, especially as they transition into and through an organization they're expected to deliver a certain amount of results so in the context in which they are experiencing the challenge and which we are providing the support how are they getting on I mean, what a wonderful, I mean, as you are keenly experiencing the challenges of transition or uh, expected to adapt, um, expected to do, perform differently or achieve more, how are you getting on? What else is missing? What else do you need? You're collecting those real-time insights that then inform the development of your uh, uh, of your solution so that it continues to become more valuable over time. You don't, you're not, I mean, without blowing our own trumpet too much, but hey, this is a platform to help us to do that. <laughs> platform to do it. When we were informed yesterday that uh, the, one of our newer clients with um, their volunteers, 75% of their volunteers had been through the platform and they're raving about this because they're new customers. This is, they're not even being paid. Like, so, like, so this is ridiculous. I mean, it all comes down to, right, forget your games, forget your game mechanics, forget any external bribe that brings people towards content that doesn't solve problems. Give people what they need when they need it in service of what they're trying to do. Hey, that's the holy grail. They'll engage in a conversation with you as well when you are really closely 
helping them with what they're trying to do and what they're not able to do efficiently. And then you'll get that better. I mean, it, it fundamentally changes the conversation that L&D is invited into as well as, uh, as well as barges into. So let me, so let me bring this one up though, because I think there's a little bit of a, well, it all, it's always easy until you get into the trenches with it, because I mm -hmm. think one of the comments or one of the questions that came up and it's, it's a relatively important one is right. So what we've been talking about in terms of these campaigns, I, I completely agree with you. There are some of these points of failure. There are these things we know where it's like, we know what people are going to need. And again, we're going to learn from it because we're going to take mm -hmm. some guesses. We're going to kind of figure what that out and pivot based on different things like that. But on the other end, you do have one, it's impossible to know everything that anybody could ever possibly need. And even if you did, sometimes there are just things people have a natural curiosity for, right? And they say, I just am curious, right? I just want to go explore something or learn something new. I will say people don't have that behavior as much as I think sometimes we'd like mm -hmm. to think they do, that people are just sitting around sipping mojitos thinking, you know, I want to learn something new. Like maybe I'm going to go look for something, yeah. but it does happen. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're, when you're looking to kind of create a pull culture versus just a push culture, you can't ignore it. So how then do you, how do you tackle that one? Because it is, it is a bit of a balancing act. So, so first of all, we're not saying either or. Um, you know me, Christopher. I'm not a, a digital versus face-to-face -face or, or a this versus that. It is solving the real problems. And, and our approach, you can put your content in and you can, and you can market it as well. So, so what we say to people who aren't so, willing to, aren't so ready to engage in the solving real problems conversation is, right, let's get your content working for you. Let's get that into campaigns. Let's cut that and so that it's, you're getting it to the people who really need it, who you think really need it, and then we'll stick user insights on there so that we can, we can have the conversations about what they need. Exactly, yeah, because not everybody's ready for this. So, so for a lot of organizations, they do have a learning provision or an online learning provision. But what we say is, let's get that working for you. And then we might move into, right, so your people are telling you that it's not content they need. They are having cultural issues. Most, I mean, 15 years in-house, in the conversations I had, people, people struggled most with, how do I get the right stuff done at this organization, at this level? Moving even from a core contributor to a manager, the rules change. Moving from manager to a leader, the rules of engagement change again. People aren't looking and thinking, how, how do I become academically a better manager? They're looking and thinking, how do I influence those stakeholders there to gain support for my ideas here? And I'm afraid there's not a lot of content that can help you with that. These are bespoke, specific situations that you might need either your local expertise or corral some local expertise that help people in those situations. And by this way, we don't create a, a parallel path where you've got where people work and where people learn. You know, we, we fundamentally believe that the way that, that you will get people both engaging in your content and influencing the way that they work is stay in their lane where they're working. And, you know, there, there is a way to answer the question. You can unearth learning needs. If you are marketing yeah. your content and people are saying, paying hey, attention, you, paying attention yeah, to the data behind it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you have more on X? Yeah, you could you could provide more on X. And if you've got uh, a suite of content, you may well have that there. But if you are also having conversations around, yeah, that, that presentation skill stuff was really interesting, 
but I've got an issue with pitching to customer X. How do I help with that? Like those are the questions that people are asking in the context of their work and that you're able to address with bespoke resources, bespoke campaigns, mm-hmm. and then look at how what you are doing is then having an effect. I mean, we, we'll show you on dashboards in a bit how you can actually um, uh, set a business KPI against some of your um, initiatives as well, where you are solving a, a, a critical point of failure in your organization. So well, there is that, but we good, see- It's a good clarification, because yeah. again, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, one, if, if that really is the, the sole approach mm-hmm. that we, we tackle that, but it sounds like, yes, you can take this kind of targeted, right? We know where we need to go. We know what we're doing with this. And we can also do this other stuff because there are opportunities to do it, but- we can do it better by saying, listen, you know, the way we're doing it today is putting it out there and hoping people figure it out versus mm-hmm. versus actually marketing it, seeing what people think, seeing how they're engaging with it and taking that hard look in the mirror and saying, is what we think is really valuable actually <clears throat> find is valuable? Yeah. And, and, and we don't believe in people working backwards. So bring what you've got over. Uh, yeah. get what you can learn because we, we always talk about starting with MVP and learning from from the data and you can get to the 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 well there's a couple of things firstly you know if you, you want to just help people navigate through the useful stuff that you've got you can create campaigns for that so if people just pull and they lob into a what we call a workspace think of it like a category you can set a campaign for up to that that as soon as someone joins you can welcome them to it and say hey i know you're interested in this here's what's been most useful for for your colleagues and then set up a three-day reminder if they haven't completed what you recommended in the seven-day, then leave them alone. But if they do the first lot, you can say, awesome, here's the next lot as well. Mm-hmm. So you can you can help them, help guide them through, um, you know, most recommended journeys in massive libraries of content, you know, still through Loop. And if you want to A-B test stuff, just to get to the gritty detail of what you can do, because, you know, I think you need those in these in these kinds of tools, uh, in... Um, in campaigns, I'm just showing my screen again. Yeah, Bob, but, um, we also, there was just another tab on the action report here, <clears throat> filters, because what we allow you to do in your comms, whether it's a text message, um, Slack teams or email, is that you can say, hey, are you interested in A, B, C or D? And we track the clicks on each of the links. So if you if you are looking to serve more generally content to, to groups of people and try and understand what's resonating, what's User not, behavior. and how with others, mm. yeah, you can get that absolute that gritty detail of data to help inform how you might um, create those experiences. Got it. Well, and I think that's what we're talking about here. And I think this is something that oftentimes we would like to do, but historically it's been challenging. And I will say this has been a limitation of a lot of technologies, right? Is that, you know, we, in theory, we'd like to do more. We, we talk about the change management, about the personalization of some of these things to make things feel a little bit more authentic. And yes, there's a degree of personalization is about getting people the right content at the right time. But sometimes it's also about making that content feel like a personalized experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like understanding that, hey, you know, is there a reason you didn't find value in this? Or is this something that you you need to take care of or that you don't want you anymore? And that that level of personalization historically has been challenging because it's been mm-hmm. like, well, we, we kind of put it out there and it's on them to, to figure it out. And you can figure it out by experimenting. What we always say to people is, look, you've got, you know your people and you know what you've got. You also know what works. So run an experiment. You know, you've got your content. We can put it into a campaign. But what we always say is your user insights 
are going to give you more information and surprise you than most of the experiences that uh, that you'd had previously. It gains you access to people keenly experiencing friction. Uh, Ben's showing you the uh, the dashboard here on, uh, uh, if I could shamelessly plug my podcast, the Learning and Development Podcast. I had uh, Gemma Patterson on, and uh, she come from um, digital marketing into L&D, and she said on the podcast that it really surprised her. She's gone from digital marketing where she's got a dashboard that shows her in relation to what they're trying to do, what the lay of the land is. Um, and it's it's like having the lights on. She comes into L&D and all you've got is information on who's done your mandatory training and the one or two people rattling around in your LMS at any given time. But other than that, there's no data, there's no dashboard. So that's why you know we've been keen to, to switch the light on. And a key part of marketing, digital marketing, um, the, in the way that, uh, the, that we've brought this into loop is understanding what it is you're trying to do, where you currently are, and then what the what the different dials are that you can turn in order to, to make a difference. And we've got, you know, we've been doing this years now. So we've got guides on uh, not just um, running a campaign with your existing content, but how you might create resources that both influence behavior, get engagement and influence behavior, and how you can get better at that over time. So it's a pretty low stakes game. I mean, you just experiment, you give it a go. But what you'll find is that when you are zeroing in on a specific point of friction, whether that is what do I wear on my first day? How do I get my tech? As Ben said, um, what questions might I, I be asked uh, when I become a new manager? Um, how do I understand what's expected of me as a leader? All those really specific points, when they, I mean, I, the most important part of all of those is the the element at this organization, you'll find that's where the energy goes. That's where the attention goes. That's where people go because it is, it is in relation to what they're experiencing at work. And then you'll see that there, there isn't a parallel world of learning and work. There was only ever one, and that was work. But we've been over here somewhere pushing generic solutions and generic content, thinking that it would be valuable if people would just take a peek, oh. if we just told them enough about it. But it's not. They they live and work over here. And so that's why the, if we can be in that world, and that's what we've tried to switch the light on for and make it make it not just more effective, but easier for L&D to do that, that, yeah, you're not scrambling for uh, for an audience. You're not trying to bring people over to justify the expense on uh, on tech you're making a real difference well and i think you know one of the questions that came up that you're you're getting at it's it's a topic that um you know so so one of the questions here was about right yes what some of the things we've been talking about are kind of procedural or you know logistical right how do we automate how do we make some of this stuff happen and i often hear the comment or or questions come up where it says well we we're trying to build a learning culture or we're trying to you know build a culture of of ongoing development my challenge and kind of pushback to that is you have one i think so mm. often we we overlook the fact that people are learning all the time i think sometimes where we miss it is we're trying to get them to learn the way we want them to learn or yeah. what we want them to learn instead of saying, no, that's not our role. Our role is not to turn them into right what we define as a learning culture. Our, our goal is to lean into the culture that exists and tap into it. So I think, you know, you tell me if I'm wrong, but to this question of, yes, it's handling some of these logistical things, but have you seen where organizations have said, well, we don't have a learning culture, so this won't work? Or because of the fact you're leaning into the actual behaviors and culture that exists, 
it it's really kind of unaffected by the existing culture, if you will. Yeah, this 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 blows the conversation um, out of the water because uh, what you realize is that people are button up against challenges and unfamiliar situations all of the time, but they're not addressed in a way that um, is easily digestible in their organization because either there's a program they need to attend and there may or may not be the uh, the help that they're looking for and it's in weeks and months away, or it might be in e-learning content. It may or may not be in e-learning content for which they might have to do 20, 25, 45 minutes worth uh, of um uh, of learning to get to there, but but what we are saying is that we stop burying it. it I mean, and it, and I think it's bringing uh, need and solution closer together in a way that we experience on YouTube and on Google as a and that's as a user experience, not from a content experience, because Google and YouTube don't help don't help you at all with the context of your organization. So what we're saying is that 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 you're going to much more likely build the learning organization that you are trying to build if you understand what it is that your people are trying to do and then capitalize on the unfamiliar situations and challenges they are actually facing because you're able to build more bespoke solutions. Uh, and you know this scares the living daylights out of, uh, of enterprises a lot of the time when they think, but how do I do that? We've got tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people thinking, right, so stop thinking of topics and start thinking of people. Start thinking of roles. Yeah. What are the where, where's your critical point of failure? When you start th looking at roles, you realize that it's a lot less. I think you sometimes oh, far less, far, far less. less. Yeah, because when you're looking at a topic, you're looking to build it from the foundations and then try to include um, plenty of if if not that, then this, and you know, trying to make it a complete um, academic um solution whereas when you're looking at people and you're simply looking at what is it that they're trying to do in the context of their role and what are they not able to do efficiently then you're trying to roll out a minimum valuable product to make the minimum valuable progress you know and if you're doing that and moving the dial you need to do you know to do more of this and less of that it's a in, in terms of influence and behavior that's how you get people engaged in your learning and development offering but you know what? I'm going to say as well. Um, there is, uh, I think that there is um, uh, an obsession with learning in our organisation, in in our profession that I don't think you find in others. I I make it. I see it akin to um, Spotify being um, obsessed by listening and the mechanics of listening. They're not. You know, like I think that what we what we lose sight of with learning is the context in which people are trying to get enough of the right stuff done to be recognised to improve their prospects and to do to do to do the right stuff and get the right results. And what we do is we've have, we have this oversimplified equation of learning equals performance or learning equals results. I'm afraid when you remove learning from the context, it means so little. And this is why, why, why Spotify don't talk about the mechanics of listening. They talk about solving the problems that, that their users are actually facing and making it a, a, a more friction-free experience and, of course, drawing people back to their platform. The more people come back, the, the more their organization wins. But what we've got to think about is what are we in organizations to do and what's it going to take to help our organization via our people to win? And I'm afraid that sometimes when we talk too much about how about learning in in a vacuum and create learning cultures where where it's about engaging in the learning products I, I i just wonder whether we're getting lost you know there's a real shortcut to 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 get an engagement in in your learning stuff well, and, and, and the whole in a vacuum piece is it's in a 
it's a it's a tough topic to talk about because I think sometimes right it challenges this whole identity of of what we've created for so long and I think that's where you know we have to address the fear of hey the, the role we play and really the value we add is is different than I think what we've perceived it to be for a long mm. time and this is starting to come to light that it's like it's not that our role is less valuable it's that the role we've set up of what we should be is actually not the role we were ever intended to do in an organization. Mm. So I'm the the question I'm curious about though, as you as you look at this from a tech standpoint. Um, so if we dive into this from a tech standpoint, how are organizations leveraging this? Because the reality is, right, there's a ton of tech in in things. And and going back to the point of right, meeting people where they are, they're using all sorts of different tools, right? They're using Slack, they're using Teams, they're using Salesforce, they're using these other things. And that's where the work is happening. And I think sometimes how we try and integrate isn't really an integration, or we're trying to create a new place that people have to kind of go to. So how does Loop work with that? Or how are organizations tapping loop into that instead of saying we've created the new thing that you also have to stack on top of all the other things you're doing. How are you blending that in? Should we um, that, ben? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, one of our aspirations is to almost be invisible. Um, you know, and we really prided ourselves, you know, way, way back when, when we were really focusing on the way the platform performed and looked before we had a lot of this technology that users would comment on the content itself and never mention the platform. They could get in and they could just find what they want. Our user acceptance testing was not, you know, here's a list of things to do. Tell us whether you enjoy it. It was it, literally all the time. Pretend you're a manager, go and find out how to lead a digital conversation. If you can't do it in two or three clicks, then we failed. Uh, and, and, and that's what ours is. Um, so, so as far as, you know, how do we exist? Well, my background before learning was actually working for one of Microsoft's largest UC partners in Asia Pack. So I've sold tons of what was called Microsoft Link, which is now Skype for Business. Yep. Um, you know, Teams wasn't around, Yammer, they had just bought. So I kind of, I, I get the productivity stack. Uh, and so I know that, and we, we resisted for many years to build things like chat into Loop. You know, we've lost, we've lost business off it. Communities was really trendy a couple of years ago. Yeah. And we lost, we lost a lot of business to that. But, you know, our explanation was that the, the technology user experience is largely made up before any learning platform gets here. And rather than try and build a learning ecosystem that is a parallel universe to the worker, because we're never gonna beat Microsoft or Slack or Google, um, it, it, our philosophy has always been to integrate to the tools that are already there. So from a administration perspective, you know, integrating with um, HR systems, Microsoft, Google, for automated user provisioning, identity systems like Okta and Centrify to make it frictionless for users to come in. And then whatever tools, you know, um, we're working on, whether that is email, whether it's Slack, Teams that we've mentioned, SMS, your retail staff, and, and, and for warehousing, right? It might actually be that you use QR codes for warehousing and you land them back into the land them back into the platform that way because they're just not there. It, it, you know, it, if we can be invisible, um, then, then you know, we've, we've really done our job because, you know, aspirationally, if I get a message as a new starter, here's what you need to do. I click a button, bang, I've got it. I close it. I didn't really even realize I was in you know, yeah. in a learning platform, I've just got what I needed, then that's utopia for us. So but it's fully trackable. What's interesting about, what's that, David? It's fully trackable. So, so, so L&D, I know, live and die by the engagement stats. By, by integrating with these tools, you don't lose those, 
but you gain you gain yeah. all of the stats to say as far as usage is concerned but all of those links you use show how people got to your content so you even learn about the channels that are going to be more effective and that and where people are picking that up so again using the the marketing mouse rather yeah. than uh just the 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 traditional learning metrics well and what i was going to say is you know so from from my end and i have been doing this a long time and one of the things that you know, I think is a lesson of the counterintuitive that I think sometimes leads people to resist this kind of approach of being more invisible as a function is this, well, but then what will people know that we matter and we need to tell everybody that we matter and we need to be out, you know, making sure everybody knows. And really when we're invisible and we have the data, we can tell a much more compelling story and actually show the value instead of talking about it and trying mm -hmm. to convince everybody look how valuable we are. Let me tell you how valuable we are. No, let me just show you because this is what we've done. And that's, that's a performance discussion versus a, you know, a, a snake oil salesman campaign to be like, look, I need more budget next year for this. But again, it, it requires a level of vulnerability and humility to say, this isn't about me. This isn't about us. This is about enabling the employees and enabling people in the organization to do that. And by doing that, we're we're creating value that you know can be quantified. Well, we've we've addressed that with uh, with dashboards. So we we recognise that, and so we've created a dashboard that links to a specific initiative. So if you've got induction, new manager development, uh, a specific change, your um, transition into leadership, whatever it is, you can have a dashboard for each of those. Then the dashboard can be easily taken from L and D to the HR director. The HR director can look at it, say. I can get that. Can I take your laptop and then show another stakeholder? So it actually speaks in the context of an initiative, the language of the business. You can add KPIs to show what, what difference that you are making. But in the absence of a KPI, you can still show both engagement stats, usage uh, and, and the path of, uh, of your users to show that that. First of all, that the, the effort of the learning and development team and the investment in the platform has, is making a difference, but it doesn't need to be translated. And it's far above bums on seats, hours and days training, it's talking specifically to the problems that learning and development are, are, number one, accountable for right now with those new manager development, induction and the like, um, but also in the context of any change. like. Has L does L and D make a valuable contribution to our organisation? And consider that's going to be a more pressing question now uh, in the next uh, few years and months. And I think that that we've, we we recognise with our clients, we consider they don't train their their people to use the LMS anymore. They've got uh, marketing to find out exactly how their content's being used and automation to the extent that Sarah and our team now thought that she'd lose eighty percent of her work being a coordinator. And yet these LNT teams are achieving more. Right. Now that for me says the power right. of tech. Right. Well, and that and that that to me right there is a great summation of why some of these things that and I think we talked about at the time I was on your podcast, David, right? The whole Stockholm syndrome of L and D, where we're holding on to things that we think are actually better or enabling us to do things or or making us valuable and really it's it's much better on the other side, but you have to be willing to take the risk and and jump through it and say no, you know. And once you go past, once you go out, you don't come back. But sometimes it's it's that willingness to take the risk and say, hey, this may not be what I'm always done. This may not be what I'm comfortable with, but let's give it a shot. And what's the worst that happens?
So, well, this has been, this has been fantastic. I, it was great having you back. It looks like, you know, the platform itself has evolved pretty significantly, even since we talked nine months ago. Um, so I appreciate you two making the time and, and one showing people what is possible through loop, but also talking about, you know, we demystified a little bit, this whole concept of why does, how does marketing or learning need to act more like marketing. And I think, right, the data and insights and, and user behavior pieces are a critical element that, that we can overlook. So appreciate the time. Happy Friday. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Glad to be here and I uh, hope you enjoyed it and got something out of it. Thanks, David and Ben, for joining me. Thank you. All right. Have a good one.